morning, Africa. Welcome to Daybreak Africa from the Voice of America. I'm James Barty in Washington. Today is Thursday, September 8th, and here are some of the stories we are covering. Kenya's parliament is being sworn in today, Thursday, as President-elect Ruto's party goes for the speakership. We have a good margin of about 11 members in the National Assembly, so we will have a bigger margin in parliament, but let us not take anything for granted. Burundi's opposition leader says the sacking of the country's prime minister could be a sign of trouble within the ruling CNDD-FDD party. The leader of Lesotho's ABC party says reforming the country's governance system is the top priority. Gambia's health ministry says 28 children died of acute kidney injury in August. Climate change and conflict are forcing more people to flee in Africa. For us, it's not only about life-saving. Life-saving is critical, and we need that support now for immediate support. But we also need to help them build resilience. And new opportunities for African artists to access alternative markets to sell their works. Those stories and more are coming up on Daybreak Africa. National Assembly and Senate are holding their first ever sitting since elections were held last month. The two houses are swearing in members and voting for the speakers and their deputies to begin their official work. Yesterday, leaders from the Kenya Kwanzaa Alliance and the Azimio La Umoja One Kenya Coalition met the elected leaders. Maureen Ojiambo reports from Nairobi. Leaders from the Kenya Kwanzaa Alliance and those from Azimio Umoja One Kenya Coalition met elected leaders from their respective blocks, asking them to vote wisely while electing speakers of both the National Assembly and the Senate. In most cases, members, especially the independent ones as well as those allied to coalitions, are bribed by their opponents to vote for a certain choice. Speaking in Nairobi during a coalition meeting, President-elect William Ruto asked the leaders to be vigilant since some may be intimidated by the state and his team may lose. We are competing with a very desperate team. I just want to let you know as members of parliament here, we have a good margin of about 11 members in the National Assembly. We have other members who are not sitting here, but they will vote for us, maybe possibly another 15 or so but uh, maybe towards 20. So we will have a bigger margin uh, in Parliament, but let us not take anything for granted. Ruto says they must ensure they take control of both the Senate and the National Assembly. Ruto has cautioned his team against any advances from the opponents. People who can use a National Security Advisory Committee to try and overturn the will of the people, they can do worse. They are very desperate to have the Speaker of Ada House. So I want to ask you uh, for this, uh, for today and tomorrow, please be careful. Uh, they could even possibly arrest some of you people just to reduce our numbers. On the other hand, President Uhuru Kenyatta and former Prime Minister Railodinga led the Azmiola Umoja One Kenya coalition. But they, however, left the meeting without addressing the press. In a statement, Kenyatta said, and I quote, I will hand over power smiling because it's my constitutional duty. But my leader is Raila. You denied yourself an opportunity to bring the country together. You haven't denied Raila. End of quote. Narok Senator Ledamo Olekina has, however, castigated the leaders from the Azmio coalition who joined Ruto's camp. Any leader who was elected under Azmio and is now joining Ruto, 
William Ruto in his Kenya Kwanza is a person who is, is for cheap. The two coalitions are fighting to have the control of both the National Assembly and the Senate. So far, Azimio has a majority in the National Assembly with 168 members of parliament against Kenya Kwanza, 158 members of parliament. The numbers are, however, without the 12 nominated members in the Assembly, as the electoral body has not yet gazetted them. In the Senate, however, Kenya Kwanza will have the majority with its 24 senators compared to 22 for Azimio. Reporting for VOS Daybreak Africa, I am Maureen Ujiambo in Nairobi, Kenya. The leader of Burundi's main opposition National Congress for Liberty Party says yesterday's removal of the country's prime minister by President Ivariste Ndayishimiye may be a sign of trouble within the ruling CNDD-FDD party. Prime Minister Jean Bouyoni's replacement comes days after President Ndayishimiye won of a coup plot against him. Opposition leader Agathon Raza tells me that President Ndayishimiye will have to decide if he wants to be the president of all of Burundi or remain a captive of those who refuse to reform the ruling CNDD-FDD party. You know, some couple of weeks, the president of the republic has been complaining about his uh, government team, which has proved to be failing in every corner. The president of the republic has been accusing his cabinet of laziness and other abuses. So, the, mini, the prime minister who was in charge that time couldn't stand the ground and uh, proposed to the president what kind of changes he could operate in his cabinet. So I think that the president has diluted that it would be better that he sack the prime minister and replace him by a new one. That is very interesting because when President Ivariste took power, he wanted to bring about change. Is someone in his government is preventing him from bringing about change or he is siding with those who don't want change? One can wonder how President Evaristin Deshimye meant to set up his team when he took power in 2020. He could rely only on his political parties in the day of the day for his proper reason. And unfortunately, those who have been accused of sabotaging him are from his own party because his government team was 100% from CNDD-FDD. Now we can just wonder if he's going to respect what the constitution says or if he will still be a prisoner of his political party where he won't be making steps forward after all. It will be likely a stalemate because we don't see a single day after day political party who is in office ruling the country for more than 15 years already. So I may say that uh, this is a very challenging time for President Ndaishimiye and his political party because they have to change their mind and uh, think about Burundi as Burundians and not think about Burundi as people from CNDD after day. If they fail to do so, we can say that we can even see the situation with more than it has been. Let me say that we tried to reach a government person, but they refused to talk to Voice of America under the guise that the government has suspended Voice of America. First, your comment on that. I think 
that's uh, a big mistake from the government side because one of the major tasks of uh, a government is to communicate not only to its people but also to the international community to the partners failing to do so means that after all this reluctance cannot help this country overcome its own troubles we have to broker our policies to any partner and if what we are doing is genuine why should we be ashamed of communicating about it after all removing the prime minister and appointing a new one is something which is quite normal it's always a pleasure to speak with you thank you very much thank you very much and uh, have good time Akaton Raza is the leader of Burundi's main opposition National Congress for Liberty Party. He was speaking with us from the capital, Bujumbura. The new leader of Lesotho's All Basoto Convention ABC Party says reforming the country's governance system is the top priority. Nkaku Kabi says implementing reforms would bring about a more stable government and regulate flow crossing in parliament. The Mountain Kingdom's next elections are set for October 7 this year. Lesotho has been dogged by political instability because of the frequent changes of government, so much so that in 2016, the Southern African Development Community, SADC, proposed changes to the country's constitution. Key among recommendations made last year by the country National Reforms Authority was that a certain prime minister can only be removed by a two-thirds majority vote in parliament. Prime Minister Moketsi Manjoro lost the party leadership in January to Kabi, but he has refused to surrender the position. Kabi tells me the ABC has always made reforming the system its number one priority. The reforms, after being made by the National Reforms Committee, had to go through Parliament to see the work and bless it. And yes, the cause of delay is the fact that there were some some few challenges and few changes that needed to be done, like taking away the power from the Prime Minister, etc., etc., which would make the government's work a little bit difficult, because if you are the sitting Prime Minister, you are the one who is running and... Uh, leading the government. So if the administration is now not being set by you and your cabinet, but it is set from somewhere, that is where the problem came. So there were few changes that caused some delay that you are talking about. Your opponents say, why do you preach reforms when, in fact, the ABC is fighting with itself? For example, Prime Minister Manjoro lost the ABC leadership to you in January this year, but he has refused to relinquish the Prime Minister's position. The sitting Prime Minister came in through the number that we get from the constituencies through elections. And the number of candidates from different constituencies that form members of parliament, they are the ones who give the Prime Minister the sitting power. So it is important because you cannot be in government without to that majority uh, in this regard. One other recommendation made was that uh, there was supposed to be a post for commander-in-chief of the Lesotho Armed Forces will be the king or someone else. We understand that some senators are hesitant because of what they think is tampering with uh, this particular clause. From my part, I don't see anything wrong with who puts the commander-in-chief necessarily. 
because apparently what is important is for the government to serve the people. So when we struggle and fight over who should control or who should deploy people from critical position, it gives a signal that somebody may be wishing to have some influence or control, which is not what the government should be. The focus of the government should be to just give services to the people. With your party so splintered from the top, what do you think are your chances in the October 7 elections? There was a misunderstanding which was brought about by the heat of election, which happened within my party, but we passed that stage. We came together, we held hands, we are working in harmony with the sitting prime minister, because he's also a member of my party, and we, are, we have got to show by leading by examples that we don't have to be fighting while we have to serve the people. So after October 7 election, the expectation is that the ABC will be back in power. Once the ABC is back in power, the bill for reforms has already passed. So what it means, we are not going back to it. What we have to do is simply to implement now. Nkaku Kabe is the leader of Lesotho's All-Basoto Convention, ABC Party. You are speaking with us from the capital, Maseru. You are listening to Daybreak Africa on The Voice of America. I'm James Barty in Washington. Today is Thursday, September 8th. The UN Refugee Agency, UNHCR, says the displacement crisis in the Horn of Africa and the Sahel is getting worse as the impact of climate change and conflict are forcing more people to flee in search of safety and humanitarian assistance. Lisa Schlein reports for VOA from Geneva. On the African continent, climate shocks like floods and droughts are becoming more frequent and intense. Millions of people in Somalia and Ethiopia are struggling to find enough food, water and income to survive four consecutive years of drought. Faced with this reality, the UN Refugee Agency says it is employing relief strategies to be better able to adapt to the new risks posed by climate change. The UNHCR representative in Somalia, Magat Gis, says Somalia is on the verge of a catastrophic famine. To help those most in need, he says his agency is setting up humanitarian hubs close to the most affected areas. He says helicopters will be used to transport staff and to deliver assistance. But other ideas also is to explore other options to link with community elders and any other actors in the community which can help to reach the person affected in those areas. This is part of our strategy and uh, it's ongoing. The UNHCR representative in Ethiopia, Mamadou Diane Bald, says 8 million people out of 20 million needing humanitarian assistance are affected by the ravages of climate change and insecurity. People who are already vulnerable because of lack of food and water. And then if for accessing energy, you need to walk and uh, move from one place to another, for us, it's not only about life-saving. Life-saving is critical, and we need that support now for immediate support. But we also need to help them build resilience so that we can also get out of that perpetual request for support. Unlike the drought-stricken Horn of Africa, heavy rains have inundated Burkina Faso. 
It has brought new misery to a country that has one of the world's fastest-growing displacement crises. UNHCR representative in Burkina Faso, Abdurauf Non Konde, says attacks by armed groups have displaced 10% of the population, or 2 million people. He says the heavy rains have destroyed people's homes and property and sent even more people fleeing. And for us, one of the response, clear response that we are providing is to make sure that uh, at least in all these urban centers where most of them are living, uh, to make sure that the shelter response that we are providing is somehow, you know, compatible with the climate conditions. The UNHCR is appealing for funds to finance the technological support needed to avert, mitigate and tackle the displacement related to the adverse effects of extreme weather events. Lisa Schlein for VOA News, Geneva. Gambia's health ministry says 28 children died of acute kidney injury in August. The ministry said in a statement on Wednesday that its investigation revealed that the possible causes are E. coli and toxicity from paracetamol syrup used to treat fever and pain in children and adults. On the line from the Gambian capital, Banjo, is reporter Sajo Brito. The ministry issued a press release to share their findings about the mass deaths. In it, they are saying that the possible causes are E. coli, which are bacteria normally found in the environment, in foods and in the intestines of peoples and animals, and also the possible toxicity of syrup paracetamol. As a result, the ministry has moved to suspend all syrup paracetamol until further notice, they said in their press release. The ministry also said that investigations are still ongoing. What are the ordinary Gambians saying about this outbreak? People are also calling out the government for their lack of urgency in handling issues like this and for not investing in resources in the healthcare sector. The samples had to be taken all the way to Senegal for testing because the Gambia simply does not have the resources to do so. And I think this has angered a lot of Gambians. We understand, Sajo, that the ordinary Gambian might be thinking that this outbreak might be the result of other causes, including sanitation. What can you tell us about this? Yes, some are linking this to a recent public health scandal after the Gambia's Food Safety and Quality Authority confirmed that fishmongers are using a deadly insecticide called sniper to preserve fish. So generally, the quality of food in Gambian markets is being questioned once more. Sajo, thank you so much uh, for joining us this morning. We do appreciate it. Always a pleasure, James. Thank you very much. That was reporter Sajo Brito in the Gambian capital, Banjo. Although the African art scene has seen substantial growth in the last decade, African artists still complain that much of their work does not get the opportunity to be displaced internationally, whether it is in world-class museums or high-profile private galleries.
However, the recent boom in cryptocurrencies and new NFT marketplaces has created new opportunities for artists to access alternative markets to sell their works. NFTs, or non-fungible tokens, use blockchain technology that creates or mints digital objects, including paintings and other forms of media. Moroccan techpreneur Anas Al-Araz is the founder of Amsani, a new NFT marketplace that targets African artists. He tells viewers Jackson Vungayin that this first-of-its-kind platform was designed to be a global space for African artists and digital creators to reach new consumers. Since that time, as you remember, in Casablanca, I was already talking about blockchain, NFTs, and lots of people were looking at me and thinking, oh, what is this guy talking about? But uh, since that time, things have been developing a lot, not only from our side, but all over the world, especially with the pandemic. Everything was locked. Uh, everyone was uh, staying at home. So even for art for exhibitions we were not able to do any of that and then the emergence of and the importance of having a virtual world where artists where museums they can still interact with their audience came uh, to the surface which is something that everyone today can achieve through NFTs, non-fungible tokens. You know, can you explain to us briefly what an NFT, your non-fungible token is, and, and how this uh, new Afro marketplace that you're launching is going to work? Yeah, well, uh, think about an NFT as a, a collectible, as a piece of art that can represent anything and everything. And uh, what is uh, interesting about NFTs, since uh, it's all about blockchain, the transactions and everything around them uh, cannot be changed. So if we're talking about artwork, for instance, uh, we are guaranteeing the copyrights, we are guaranteeing the, the authenticity of whatever piece, because the you can trace the NFT until the date of its creation and have every single piece of transaction recorded within this token. So this is why they're non-fungible. They cannot be divided because we have also fungible tokens like uh, the what people know as cryptocurrencies, for instance, like Bitcoin. There are many replicas. But for the NFTs, we're talking about the uniqueness of things. And who decides, uh, in this case, the value of the art? The value of the art is uh, uh, up to the artist, to the creator, to uh, to decide on the value of the art. So, for for instance, our platform it enables you to set the price. You are free to choose, and then you test out the market. So, whatever there are lots of artists who tend at the beginning to lower the price because they're. Uh, they know that it's not only about the first sale, but whatever number of sales, they keep earning revenue out of them. So that's uh, that's the thing. We are also, uh, in the next couple of weeks, we are releasing a new feature, which is auctions, three types of auctions. And then if you're not sure about what, what is the right price, you can just put it for auctions. And still, even if you list a piece and of the marketplace art, will certain... tell you the marketplace essentially will yeah. tell you how much value they assign to to that piece of work. So at this this marketplace, uh, 
is accessible to every artist, any artist that wants to join? Yeah, it is accessible to any artist that wants to join. Uh, but uh, for us, uh, the main focus is African, Afro and Black art. So this is the line of focus. Moroccan techpreneur Anand Al-Araz is the founder of Amsani, a new NFT marketplace that targets African artists. You're speaking with viewers Jackson Vougagne. And that's it for this Thursday, September 8th edition of Daybreak Africa. We thank you for being our guest this morning. For more African news and features, visit our website at voaafrica.com. Connect with us on all social media platforms. We are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We are also on YouTube, where you can watch our TV shows, Africa 54, Street Talk Africa, and Red Carpet. On behalf of the Daybreak Africa crew, I'm James Barty in Washington saying, have a great day, and please be safe, whatever you do. 